Welcome to the What's Your Truth podcast, the show that not only showcases the best of independent artists, but also explores what inspires them, what drives them, and what they consider their fundamental purpose as an artist to be. Today on the show, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Tommy Luce. Now, as long as I've known Tommy, and it's been a few years, he's always been a hustler. A performing musician for the past three decades, Tommy got his preliminary musical chops on piano and tuba, eventually finding his way to the guitar. He's released six six albums with the metal band Smokescreen, as well as solo releases on vocals, guitar, and harp guitar. Tommy was also instrumental, pun very much intended, in the running of RSL from 2014 to 2022, including performing tracks for their acoustic syllabus launch in 2019. In addition, he completed a degree in music performance and professional practice at Coventry University and continued on there as a lecturer and guitar tutor. He received a triple scholarship as well as the Julian Hellaby Award for Excellence and also had the opportunity to interact with the heavy metal icon during his tenure there. Uh, Mr. Tony Iommi was a visiting professor during this time. And if you don't know who Tony Iommi is, you need to go Google that shit right now. True to form, Tommy has never slowed down. These days, he is constantly composing, gigging, pitching music for sync licensing, being a demo artist for Loudon Guitars and Journey Guitars, and working for G7 Capos, which the best capos on the planet, by the way, I might add. Aside from all of this, the thing I love most about Tommy isn't his talent or his work ethic, both of which are undeniable and truly awe-inspiring. My favorite part about Tommy is his warmth, caring, and how utterly sweet of a being he is. I've had the pleasure of not only knowing Tommy over the past few years, but also of creating with him artistically, and I've always walked away from every interaction with a smile, not only because we've made some pretty incredible noise together, but because I've always had the feeling that Tommy is a friend, a brother, and someone who truly cares about the people in his life. It's such a pleasure to have him here today, ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Luce. Hey, how are you, Tommy? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Well, shall we roll into it? Yeah, thank you for that intro. It was really kind of you. Much too kind, but thank you very oh. much. Feelings mutual. Uh, thank you, brother. And I mean, I tell you, I meant every word. Oh, mate, thank you very much. Looking forward to uh, having a chat with you. That's right. Well, here we go. Let's so my it. first question is, how did you decide that you wanted to become a musician? I mean, I think for me... Um, with my parents both being musicians, there was always music on in the house being played either on, you know, the record player or CD player. Um, my parents both played, you know, performed actively and they taught as well. So my mum played the bassoon and the piano and she sang, played for choirs, that kind of thing. And she still does. And uh, my dad, the violin, sings, guitar. Uh, he plays quite a few different instruments. And so I think for me, it was a case of there was always music around me. So um, it was just a very natural progression i suppose i started tinkering around on the piano when i was maybe four or five and then i think about seven i did my first sort of grade one piano exam you know and i was never very good at the piano because i didn't practice um which is a good way of not getting good at something you know and uh and then when i was 12 i was pretty much i mean i'm six foot and i'm i wasn't much smaller when i was in my first year at secondary school so i think they saw me and thought oh the tuba that'll do he's big and looks gullible <laughs> wants to have no mates you know so I started playing that and then I remember finding a plectrum or a pick depending on what you call it on the playground at school when I was about 13 and that was the same day that my brother bought an Iron Maiden CD from the bargain bin at the local shop and I heard that and I was just kind of hooked so I think um you know nearly 10 years before that was when I started tinkering around on the piano but that was a bit of a you know a bit of a light bulb moment then I think 
Wow. And that's so great that you had like growing up that you had the nurturing right from the get go that your parents were musicians. I mean, that's that's a huge asset to any artist coming up is to have people that really get it, you know. Oh, yeah. They've always been super supportive. And I mean, you know, like over 30 years down the line now, I mean, my mum and dad have both played on my albums. You know, they're both. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like my dad played violin on one five or six years ago. My mum played piano on it. Uh, my brother produces all of it for me. He's played on several of them and we play in a metal band together. We have done for 20, 21, 22 years. So we've always had that family kind of unit, I suppose, if you like, which is really nice. And because I've always had it, you know, I think um, there's always that danger of not appreciating enough. But I think the older I get, the more I realize how much I do appreciate it and how much how much good it's done me. You know, absolutely. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was the first experience you remember having with music? One of the one of the early memories I can remember, I would have been about seven. And I can remember learning. It, it was around about the time that Earth Song by Michael Jackson came out. And I can remember saying to my mum, oh, I really want to learn how to play that. So she wrote the chords out for me. And I could remember playing it in the assembly at school while people walked in. So that would have been, I think that was the first time I ever played properly in front of people. I remember doing a few concerts here and there locally, um, but that was a really a moment that sticks in the mind. I can still remember that pretty well now. So that was nearly 30 years ago. And I think it was just that kind of, it wasn't a massive ego stroke thing, but I do remember just sitting there and thinking, normally we have some music coming through the speakers and instead it's me today, you know, and people are actually looking around and listening and, you know, when you get a bit older, there's a lot of talk, isn't there? Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I think it maybe hit me. Oh, I'm actually sitting here doing the thing, you know, rather than just talking about it. So that's probably the earliest one I can remember really clearly. Wow. What a great memory. Great song, too, by the way. Um, yeah, great video. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So good. And it's true. There is. I mean, talk is cheap and there's a lot of it. And that's why it's cheap, you know, but yeah, yeah. to really sit there and re- be in the moment and realize, wow, I'm actually delivering this thing I've wanted to do. It, it's it's special, you know, it really is. Yeah, definitely. I think I look back at it on and appreciate it a lot more now. And I think when I was, you know, 12, 13, doing rehearsals nearly every night after school, mostly on the tuba and then stuff with the band at the weekends and gigs and stuff, you know, I didn't do very much else in my life, but at the same time, I didn't, I don't feel like I missed out. I don't really look back and think, oh, I didn't want to do anything else. I wanted to do music, so I did. And I think, um, you know, it's easy to look back, isn't it, and think, well, I was so busy doing rehearsals and gigs. Maybe I didn't do this, this, and this. I was doing what I wanted to do. So, you know, I was probably just missing, wasting time, really, <laughs> in a lot of ways. So, well, yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's just it. If you're doing what your purpose is, then there's no such thing as wasted time. And if you have time to sit around yeah. and wonder about all the other stuff you're doing, you're missing out, you're probably doing the wrong thing anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. That's so great, man. So who are the biggest influences on your work and why? Influence-wise, um, a, a very early one, and I didn't really realize this at the time, uh, would be Django Reinhardt. Um, so my dad is a, a big Stefan Grappelli fan, and it was on in the house when I was very young. And, you know, it's that kind of music where it's very... And you don't really know what that is when you're young, I don't think. Um but you're aware of it being there and it's kind of this very rhythmic pulsating thing isn't it and and when I got older I guess probably the first time I sat down and actively listened to Django would have been when I started getting into Black Sabbath I guess probably around 14 and I learned that um Dr Tony Iommi have to make sure I get that right 
Um, he was very inspired by Django because he lost the ends of his fingers in a, a machine at work. And I think he was going to, he was going to quit playing. And then he learned that Django had, you know, this issue with his hand through uh, getting burned, that he was still able to play. And I think that made me think, oh, I better check this guy out properly. And I didn't realize I'd been listening to him for, <laughs> for years already. So um, we did a, in my final year at uni, this would have been 2012. We did a, a gypsy jazz style quartet where I had to arrange a bunch of songs and uh, it was great fun. And my dad played violin on that project, which was really nice. Um, so Django was definitely a huge one. Um, Iron Maiden, definitely. Um, that would have been when I was 13. Uh, my my uncle was a record dealer at the time. And we used to go and stay with him and my cousins and my aunt for four days in the summer. And because of him being a record dealer and a, you know sold CDs on eBay and all this, my cousins and him just had everything by everyone. So yeah, right. we introduced you know, bands like Aerosmith, um, the Offspring, quite a lot back then. Um, then getting into you know, Metallica, Pantera, Slayer, bands like that. De- definitely around sort of the 2001, 2002 kind of era when we started the band uh, Smokescreen that you mentioned earlier there. We were covering the likes of so System of the Down, Korn, uh, Rage Against the Machine, Metallica, um, all those kind of bands. And then um, and I think other influences as well. When YouTube first started, I think it was around 2006, I can remember finding Andy McKee on there. And that blew a whole new world open for me. I didn't realize you could play fingerstyle type stuff. And that's when I saw a harp guitar for the first time. So probably the, the biggest three, um, Django Reinhardt uh, with Grappelli as well, and then Iron Maiden. And then um, before all of that as well, I used to listen to a lot of, we used to watch Top of the Pops. Mm-hmm. And I can remember artists on there. So you'd have a lot of, I suppose a lot of one hit wonders, you know, um, but also, you know, there were a lot of artists. So there's a, an artist called Gina G who very, very cheesy pop stuff. She was absolutely huge. Um, there was a band called Eiffel 65 who did an absolutely huge song back in what would have been the late nineties. And that's recently been resampled. Um, I, I think it's maybe David Getter that's redone it. I can't remember, uh, but yeah, that, that one and um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i know what was, about. yeah that was huge back then so a lot of the kind of chart pop stuff um and that trailed off when i got into maiden and, and the metal and the rock stuff so yeah i suppose those those are the key areas really and i think um doing the job that i do now with g7th you know i get exposed to so much new music on a daily basis um i can't help but listen to loads and loads of new stuff and every now and then something really stands out and you think oh why have I never listened to this person before um but that's nice I think you know and then of course you think right I'll go back and listen and my cousin sent me a tape when I was about 15 of all these power metal bands as well like bands like Blind Guardian um Dragon Force maybe maybe that was a bit later but Blind Guardian and Rhapsody and Symphony X all those guys mm-hmm. and I got really into that Dream Theater as well um yeah. And yeah, I think you, you get to a point, don't you, where you think I really should learn how to play guitar like John Petrucci, or at least try to anyway. So um, I think it's on everyone's radar at some point who plays electric guitar, isn't it? Yeah, at least to gain an understanding of it. And I just wanted to point out too, man, I love the the breadth of what your interest is and what you actually are able to play well. Because I mean, I've heard you do. I mean, obviously we did the uh, the metal track together and your solo was insane yeah. on that. So you definitely <laughs> have that. Petrucci ass kind of thing going, but then I've also heard your acoustic stuff where you play gorgeous acoustics, like and your voice too, by the way, is is really, really incredible. Um, but it's like you really are 
you cover the spectrum, you know, and that's not easy. That's, that's rare to come by, you know, I, for me anyway, I don't see that often. So um, I, your influences really do come out in just the breadth of what you do. It's pretty awesome. I appreciate that. And I, I know when we did your track, when we did carousel there, it was really good fun. It was an interesting time because I can remember doing that track with you. And then I can remember doing some uh, soundbite clips for Emerald uh, with the harp guitars. Yeah. With those guys back there on the back wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I can remember doing a, uh, my brother and I are working on a gypsy jazz submission album, like a pastiche album. Um, and we're about two thirds done with that. And then the week after that, I did a death metal project uh, for a band called Moose Cult over in New Zealand, oh. which was really good fun. And I mean, when he asked me about it, he said, you know, it's death metal and i thought well i like decapitated i like a lot of these bands but i like nile but i wouldn't ever call myself particularly knowledgeable on it you know I, i'm not as knowledgeable on on death metal necessarily and i had a chat with him about it and i said yeah, i don't know if i'm maybe the right person and he said well metal's metal isn't it really just just do your thing and we'll see what happens so i did and i listened back and i thought yeah he's right actually you know it's, it all falls into the same tree maybe some of the the techniques are a bit different you know maybe there's more trim picking or whammy bar or sweet picking or something in some of these subgenres, but you know who cares past a certain point it's just just metal isn't it just just good fun you know yeah and it's funny i'm glad you brought that up because i really do miss the the good old days when there were the basic food groups and there were no sub genres and then sub sub genres i'm just like bro like you said metal's metal rock is rock <laughs> let's keep it simple yeah. yeah tricky isn't it after a certain point because you just think you know when people want to put themselves into a really tiny box. I can remember doing a gig maybe back in probably 15 years ago, and I can remember getting a flyer given to me at the gig. And it said, I don't remember the band's name now, but it was, oh, we're underground, black, death, speed, thrash, something core. And I thought, I kind of already don't want to listen to that, but because you've tried so hard to try and make yourselves out to be different. And I know you're going to sound like everything that I've heard anyway. So just just tell me you're a metal band. It's fine. I'll just listen to it and make my own mind up. But but I suppose at the same time, it's hard because we've all got to try and stand out in our own way. But at the same time, if you try too hard, then maybe it takes away from what you should really be doing, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Well, and honestly, I feel like I've noticed the more the more corporate music has gotten over the years, the more subgenres have become a thing, too. I kind of feel like those things are related somehow, though I yeah. can't really say how exactly. But, you know, back in the 60s, if you tried to, like, convolute, like what rock was like the doors you could say were like jazz infused rock or something it's like i feel like they would just be like no we're rock band yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. right on so what's the weirdest thing that's ever inspired you the weirdest thing Ooh. what musical or non-musical or just anything at all or whatever answers the question for you my man it's your interview wow the weirdest thing that's ever inspired me that's a really good one, actually. Um, got a bit of a think about that. I was kind of, I know when we we initially talked about doing this interview, we kind of talked a little bit about obviously whenever you're talking about inspiration and things like that. Um, I can remember going all the way back to a. This would have been quite an early festival, probably one of the first ones that I went to, and uh, I think the first one that I went to was Download 2004, somewhere like that. So I would have been 17. And one thing that I do remember, I don't remember what I necessarily wrote because of this or or anything, but I do remember feeling just a bit in awe when this happened. I can remember watching, I think it was Soulfly on the main stage. And I can remember turning around just to see how big the audience was, because I'd never been to anything that that big before, really, outside. It was the first big festival I'd been to. And I can remember, 
you know, just looking back. And I think at that point, download was maybe 80,000 people somewhere around there. I mean, you've never been to a festival like that. You know, that's maybe a local beer festival with a few thousand people, but 80,000 is a lot. And I can remember watching it raining and it was raining up until kind of here. And then it wasn't raining there. And I just remember looking at it and thinking, I suppose there has to be a point where rain starts and stops. And it just never occurred to me. So I remember looking at it and just thinking, that's really weird, but that's kind of cool. And yeah, I've always remembered that. And that was nearly 20 years ago now. So that's definitely stuck. And I do remember coming home and thinking, I don't know why or how that's inspired me, but it's a very, it's just a really natural thing. You can't cause it necessarily. And uh, yeah, I just remember looking around and thinking, oh, that's really, that's really odd. That's really interesting. I'll remember that. And so, yeah, I suppose I maybe mentally banked it and uh, used it in some way. But yeah, I, I definitely remember that being a thing and just being really surprised by it and thinking, I'm not sure if that's cool or weird or all of the above, but it's definitely something. I've remembered it for this long, haven't I? So it's it's clearly done something. But yeah, yeah no definitely. Yeah, and that's a really that. interesting. Yeah, that's a real. I can see there being a song in there like you know, even the rain has to end or something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll actually try and do something properly with it one day. But yeah, it was it was a bizarre thing. Maybe not the first thought you'd have going to a metal festival. You think, right, let's go and look at some rain, you know? But right. it was there. The beers ran out. Let's look at the rain, lads. But uh, well, yeah, so there you go. Something to do and it kills some time before awesome. rain. So that's awesome. So, how has your art influenced other people? Um, I know. So my my brother is the singer and the other guitar player in in the band in Smokescreen, and he has produced us for quite a long time now. And I do remember that they're probably about five or eight years younger than we are. There were quite a few metal bands around the area. I'm going back maybe 15 years ago now, and I can I can definitely remember three or four bands all coming in, and they would ask Sam and I about you know so how did you write this and how did you do this? And I can remember listening to them as they were recording stuff, thinking that sounds quite a bit like this riff from this song and this bit from this and you know we all kind of borrow things and get inspired by each other so it's not like it was a it wasn't a problem it wasn't a lawsuit but it it was quite nice actually sort of listening to it and thinking I can remember teaching some of the guitar players down the line as well and like you know giving them pointers on technique when they wanted it and you know learning how to to write riffs and then trying to I suppose essentially be inspired by stuff and not just replicate it so I, I do remember feeling a very kind of um a very kind of distinct warmth from that, I suppose, thinking, oh, they like it enough to actually try and, you know, incorporate some of it maybe. Um, but every now and then, you know, I'll get people writing and maybe Instagram or Facebook and things like that. And not loads and loads, but it's nice when people do. And, you know, sometimes they'll send a song in and say, oh, I heard this song, or maybe even if it's just a cover of something that I've, that I've done. And, um, and they'll send over a recording of something that they've done and say, oh, you know, I heard, this or I saw this bit of artwork and I have my character uh, my little cartoon guy Beardface who's just me but cartoony and um and, and I like that because first of all I don't have to be in anything um and I don't mean that in a lazy can't be bothered way but you know there's only so much you can do with this I, I'm just I know what I look like you know we're not going to sell much based on this and um another is about selling stuff but I, I like the idea of having a little cartoon character because then he can be doing stuff even if I haven't got a any new music necessarily you know we can have we do things for certain events so like there's always a christmas bit of artwork an easter bit i was talking to my artwork guy this morning about an easter idea um and all of that kind of stuff so it's nice i can get creative with that and i'd say 
I was talking to Alistair from Loudon a little while ago. I bumped into him at the Birmingham show and he always says the same thing whenever he sees me. I like your music, but I always like the artwork as well. And really, I know what he's saying is, yeah, the music's fine, but the artwork's really cool. What are you going to do with the artwork next? And I think, well, yeah, it's nice that people are looking at it. And um, it's funny, really, because that's kind of what I want to achieve with it. You know, it, it makes it stand out a bit more. It's cartoonish. It's silly. And it's fun trying to come up with ideas. Like, you know, the guy that does all the artwork for me, he does all the artwork for Smokescreen as well. I've known him for 20 odd years. And uh, yeah, it's just nice digging around inside of his head and seeing what he can come up with for me. So, yeah, I, I get people mention the artwork as well and say, oh, it inspired me to do this. And I've had one or two people draw their own things that look a little bit like Beardface and send it in. The nearest I'll get to fan art, I suppose, which is which is really sweet. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Fun. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen Beardface. Beardface is awesome. I that, that was a really, really cool caricature. Cool way of promoting yourself. Well, it's like I think the first time he did it for me, he said, "I've just drawn this. What do you reckon?" And I looked at it and I thought, "Well, if it didn't look so much like me, I'd be a bit offended." But it does. Let's use it. You know, just Fred Flintstone with a beard. You know, and I have it on the. Uh, I think I've got one here, as if by magic. I keep one of these in my wallet. I've got him on a little. Uh, I don't know where you can pick that oh. up. And if you can really cool. yeah so this will make you a better guitarist probably so there you go <laughs> so just a little fun thing it's kind of like a it's like business card i suppose really i give them away with albums and stuff like that um i never actually use them as picks because <laughs> i where's the design off but um yeah it's, it's a branding thing though isn't it you know and it's a it's cool can always find something new for him to do you know definitely that's brilliant so do you have any pre-show or pre-studio rituals? So pre-show wise, um, I, I always like to to make sure I drink a lot of water um, because I sweat an awful lot. <laughs> I've always been a very, I'm always concentrating a lot when I'm playing. And however much practice I've done, I always think I haven't done enough. So there's probably always that initial kind of... And when I hear the first, you know, I kind of gauge it by the end of the first song. If if people clap a little bit, I think, oh, maybe it's going all right. So um, so I like to to drink plenty. Um, I'll always do a few, you know, like massage my forearms and all this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, do the the regular warm ups. You know, I'll do some scaled bits. Um, I quite often, so I'll I'll watch um, I'll watch stuff that's nothing to do whatsoever with what I'm doing. Um, there's a show on YouTube. I got into it. Uh, my girlfriend introduced me to it maybe six months ago. And it's really, really zany. I don't know if you have it um, over in your part of the world, but it's called Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Never heard of it. it you should check it out. It's, it's a really, really strange show. And it all centers around these three characters. One of them is a duck. One of them is a kind of Muppet looking character. And another one is a guy in a red suit with sort of a ball of wool for a head and, and big googly eyes. And because it's nothing to do with music or anything, although there are some fun songs in it, I like watching it because it just, it makes me laugh. And it's really, really creative. And it's the kind of thing that I look at and just think, I've got no idea how they came up with that. And I like going on stage with that kind of mindset. Or I like going into a recording session with that mindset because I think I really like this. It's really short. It's beautifully quirky and it's really odd. And I've got no idea how they came up with it. But I'm really inspired by it. So I watch a couple of shorts. They're only maybe five minutes long, three or five minutes long. And so I watch one of them and then I put it down and then I go and do whatever I do. And um, that's what I'm on at the minute. I'm watching a lot of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. But other things, um, there's a Rob Zombie uh, cartoon film called uh, The Haunted World of El Superbisto. 
and I'll watch, yeah, and I'll watch clips from that sometimes. You know, like I'll watch a couple of the songs uh, on YouTube or Spotify or wherever before I record. Because again, that's quirky. It's weird. It's zany. Um, so yeah, I think I just like to stick myself in a really good, a good mood. Something that I know I like. Something that I'm really inspired by and that I think is really creative. And then I'll do some press ups. I'll do some crunches. All that kind of thing, just to get myself somewhat nimble. Um, no marathons or anything like that. But uh, but yeah, if it's a gig where I'm doing lots of singing, um, more so with my own stuff, then you know I won't have anything dairy wise. You know, I won't have chocolate or milk or anything like that. I'll have um, some vocal zone, um, like some tea or some of the little sweets that you get, um, or weak squash. You know, stuff like that. So uh, yeah, fairly standard stuff, I suppose. But I do like watching something a bit weird and freaky before I go on because it makes me laugh. Or I watch five minutes of stand up of a comedian I really like just to put myself in a good mood. You know. That's really smart. And I know I've talked to people too, where it's like, especially if like, I don't know about you, but like there've been times where I'll have something happen before I'm going to do a show. Like I'll get in an argument with somebody and then it's like, I'm just out of the, out of the game. I'm out of the headspace and stuff like that is re it's really smart to put yourself back in the game and just kind of get it. Cause I mean, when you're up on stage, you should be light and creative and having fun. It shouldn't be serious. And so that's, that's really smart. That's actually really smart. It was for me. Yeah, I think every now and then I, I've had a few things like that. And I I did a gig quite recently. It was the first theatre gig I'd done in like three or four years. And something happened literally 20 minutes before. And it was there was something quite major. Yeah, and I can remember getting the phone call and just thinking, if I don't answer this, I'll be wondering what's happening. And if I do, well, at least I'll know and it, it won't be ideal. So I answered it. And I think it was one of those things I thought I can either let myself be really affected by it or I can just think, well, now I've prepared for this. I know what I'm doing. I watched them don't know me i'm scared which is what i did and just went on and and it went really well and i think because of that you know it's a bit hippie-ish maybe or whatever you want to say it is but you know i think i've i don't know how many gigs i've done over the years hundreds and hundreds now and i'm very fortunate to say i've had the chance to but i think it's just if you've been doing it for quite a long time and you think you know i've had things happen before i've had injuries i've had all sorts of stuff and i've played through most of them um so yeah you find a way of making it work don't you and you think we're here to do a job and we'll get it done and it might not be perfect but it probably won't be perfect anyway so you know you get it done that's right no that's true and there is almost i mean it's a sense of duty too because you are there to entertain a crowd you are there to do a job 100 so yeah. i think yeah, that's a really good attitude yeah. yeah it's all good fun you know i like hearing other people's um things as well do you have any at all like any rituals that you tend to partake in johnny or oh boy um you know i mean nothing too extensive i mean the main things I'll like I'm usually singing, so I always do vocal warm-ups. Um, I'll I'll usually play through like some scales on the guitar a little bit to warm my hands up. The other thing that I do that is really useful is I'll, if I'm if I can, I'll walk around the place I'm going to be performing and I'll just like touch things in the space, you know, like I'll touch chairs and walls and it, it just contact it gets me in contact with the space a little bit, which somehow just helps. It helps nerves, but it also helps for me to kind of like somehow project myself better when i'm on stage because i'm kind of in contact with the room you know um yeah. other than that i mean water uh, you know and I, I try to eat a bit before the show so i'm not if i eat right before the show then i'll be burping through the show which is no good um when you're singing and that is very real uh that happens yeah. <laughs> um yeah and then on that i try to just kind of be chill have quiet time you know i just I, i'm pretty i'm pretty to myself you know um before a show it, it, you know for me that's interesting to learn i think it's 
another thing that I find, I, I started doing this a few years ago and I, it's only sort of just clicked back in because I've, I've been getting uh, back into sort of more regular gigs over the last while. And something that I do like to do, it, it's a bit of a safety net, I suppose, but I do find that it works. Um, I'll just, I'll turn it back on here and I'll show you. Um, so what I, what I tend to do is I'll always have my, my written set list and I'll do it in, you know, different colors of pen, depending on what colors the lights are, you know, because <laughs> if you don't know, it's uh, suddenly go blue or red or something you can't see a bunch of it so i'll usually do that in a few different colors um but then what i'll also do is i'll stick a note on my phone with the set list as well just for emergencies in case anything really comes off the rails and something mm -hmm. else that i like to do is i'll have a picture on my phone background of something that i really like or something that makes me happy um i've got a few on there i've got some of me and my uh my teenager on there um but one that i've got at the moment that i've had for a few gigs now and this is a little bit of a cool name drop i admit but uh, we got to see and meet Weird Al Yankovic. I saw that uh, last month on, when he came to London, and so yeah. uh, I'll stick that on my music stand. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's another thing yeah. that I like to do anyway. It's just, and not if, not if it's necessarily going badly. I wouldn't ever say it goes too badly, but um, but I think it's just a nice thing. Every now and then, I'll just tap it and think, oh yeah, that was really good. You know, yeah. just to, kind of, to keep me going. Um, I suppose some nights you need that more than other, but uh. But yeah, it's another little mind game that you can play, I suppose. You have to just find what works for you, don't you? Yeah, 100% you do. Everyone's going to be different on that. But it, that's the point is to make it a point to find something that works for you. So I think that's, I mean, those are all, you've been one of the more um, expansive people I've had on as far as like what you do. So that's pretty cool. I think you just gave people a lot of ideas of things to try, which is really awesome. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, I, if, I think the thing is something I know very well about myself and I'm doing it now. I'm not much of a... I'm not much of a man of few words with things like this. You know, I like talking about stuff. Small talk's fine, but when it's kind of, when you'll hit me with a question, all right, so something that's inspired you. I don't think that's a 10-word answer, really. You know, I think there's a bit, maybe it is to some people, not to me, though. I won't shut up for a bit, you know. So thanks for letting me ramble on. And uh, it's nice, you know, it's nice to just sort of have this very open dialogue with it. And, um, yeah, it's it's nice to expand on these things. Agreed. It is. And it's fun to actually, it's fun to get your viewpoints on them too. So I'm, I'm a big fan of um, expounding on things myself. So I'm really happy that you're able to roll with it and that this is fun for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. So what risks, if any, have you personally taken for the sake of your music? Well, um, so when I left, when would this have been? So I, I left school when I was 18 and I did. So we do a AS levels and A levels here. Um, it's kind of the, you can do college, but it's what you would do in your college years. Um, I think over in your part of the world, what we call university tends to be what you guys call college, doesn't it? I um, believe so. I think, I mean, it doesn't matter too much, I know, but I, I think that's what it is anyway. Um, so when I left school, uh, I was already doing some gigs and guitar lessons and I just thought, well, I don't really, I don't want to go to uni at the moment. I don't feel like that's something I want to do. So I just went and got the first job there was. So I was doing guitar lessons and gigs and and lessons, you know, kind of sparingly, I suppose, and just gradually building it up. And then I went and got a job uh, working at a local supermarket in the bakery, not because I particularly wanted to, but it was a job. And I thought, well, it's something, you know. Um, and so I started doing that. And then probably about a year into that, I can remember I'd spent ages trying to get a contract that, you know, because they're, they're big on zero hours contracts. And uh, so when you're on holiday, you don't get paid for it and all this stuff. And about a week after I started the job, one of the guys I worked with said, oh, I'm off to work at the local music shop. 
he, he needs someone there. And I just didn't know that, you know, and normally I'm in the music shop all the time. And uh, so I just didn't know about this job. And I thought, oh, I could have gone and worked there. So after a year and I finally got this contract, we got a new boss and they just scrapped everyone's contracts again. And I just remember thinking, right, can't do this anymore. You know, this is really doing me in. And I had a chat with my friend who had gone and gotten this job at the music shop. And he said, look, I'm actually about I'm about to leave within the next three or four months. Um, let's have a chat about it. And so I spoke to my mum and I just said, look, I can't do this job anymore. I can't make the hours work, but there will be a job working here at the music shop. And so I spoke to her and I agreed that I'd give it, you know, four months or six months, whatever it was. She lent me a little bit of money. And within about six to seven months, I think it was, you know, I carried on working and teaching and gigging and I managed to get the job lined up there. But there was always the chance that it wouldn't work out. So that was a bit of a risk. It was a calculated one, and I had a safety net there, and I'd saved up some money beforehand. Um, and then after four years working at the – well, no, three years working at the music shop, my girlfriend at the time went to uni, and she was kind of the last person back home to go to uni. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go then. And so I applied, and then as it happens, we broke up. And I thought, well, I'll go anyway, you know, just to see what it's like. Um, so I kind of left everything – behind in that sense and I was 22 at the time so I was a bit older and I carried on doing some guitar lessons as well um so I still had a bit of a business going and then when I left you know I came back home and I did the RSL application and then I started working I suppose that the safe thing in inverted commas would have been to go and get a regular job again in inverted commas but I thought well no I'll I'll try my hand at this and I was doing exams I was doing lectures at uni um I was doing lessons I was doing gigs all these different things so it felt, feels like there's been kind of a lot of risks sewn into it as I've gone along. Um, and bizarrely, when I was overdoing doing NAM, I think it was back in, would it have been 2019 NAM? That was when I met the G7th guys. And um, so it's kind of a bit of a risk, you know, going over and just kind of thinking, oh, these guys that I've met within maybe three months after that, I just thought, yeah, I'll stop doing nearly all the other stuff and I'll put all my eggs in that basket for the most part because they seem like great people. They're a great company, and I knew of them certainly already. Um, but I think sometimes these things just come along and smack you in the face, and you think, well, all right, if it doesn't work out, I'll find another thing. I'll do some of the other things that I used to do. And, of course, then we had the pandemic. Um, so it's a good job, really, that I put most of my eggs in the G7th basket because I lost all the other stuff anyway, or most of it. You know, So <laughs> I suppose it's all been risky in its own way. Um, not risky as in I've gone to Vegas and put all my life savings on black 13 and a half or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't really think about it that much, but, but when you ask me about it and I sort of trace it back and I think, yeah, I can see why that was maybe a bit risky, but I, I made it as risk-free as I could, but at the same time, I suppose, you know, sometimes not taking a risk is the risky thing, isn't it? You know, if you just stay doing the same thing all the time, um, then, you know, you're not going to, nothing's going to change. And I think, um, you know, I, I like thinking of it as evolving rather than changing. That's, again, a bit kind of hippie-ish. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I love hippies. But, um, yeah, I think that's how I've kind of managed to tweak my, my mindset over the years. I never used to like the idea of change. I thought it was kind of, it suggested something was bad. Um, and sometimes it is. But I think, yeah, I think of it very much as, right, I need to do a bit more of this or a bit less of this or you know the same amount of this but in a different way so i think you you kind of get better at knowing how risky something is possibly before you do definitely, it definitely and i love what you said about how sometimes the risk is not taking a risk i mean that's a real i mean number one that's like a song that's got to be and that's got to be a song but also too you're so correct and i mean i think there's 
like you said, it, it's a lot of people have this viewpoint that change is bad, but and and yes, yeah, some change can be bad. Obviously, like wars and earthquakes and things like that suck. But if it's a change where it's a function of your own illusion and you're causing the change, there's a difference between that and stuff that happens to you. I mean, that's how growth happens. You know, that's how you get better. That's how that's how life gets better. So I, I love everything you just said. That was that I, I got helped just now by hearing you say that stuff. You know, oh, I, I appreciate that. You know, that's if, if I've got time to, to tell you this thing, I will. Um, on, on the subject of that, I know when I was in um, during lockdown, um, something very, very big changed in my life. And uh, yeah, I won't go into loads of detail on it because it's it's somewhat personal. And um, but suffice to say, it was something that really altered my mindset. And it, I I didn't like how much it altered it, and I didn't like how helpful it was because it made me think, why have I not been doing this my whole life? And it was one of those things. I've always been a planner. I've always thought, right, well, I better plan my funeral, haven't I? Because I'm you know 23 now, and it's probably going to be tomorrow. Um, not literally, but you know, I think I've always thought the more I worry about something, the more I plan it, the better it will be. And maybe to an extent, but at the same time, you know, we all know someone who's eaten really healthily and exercised every day of their life and they get hit by a bus at 30 because life's horrible. Sometimes, you know, it's what happens. And um, and I've never really seen the whole be present, stay in the moment thing. I think maybe through being self-employed and freelance a lot of the time, you know, a lot of my working life, you're always thinking, right, where's the next bit of work coming from? Sure. And I think maybe that you know part of my psyche was has always lived there. And this situation really forced me to just think, right, we'll go an hour at a time, never mind a day at a time. And as I started doing that more and more, I felt myself realizing the benefit of it. And it made me quite angry at first because I thought well, I thought I had this stuff sorted. I thought I knew how to do this, but it was a situation that was out of my hands. And um, and it did me an awful lot of good in that sense. And I think now, um, essentially, it was a it was the breakup of a relationship. And of course, when that happens, it's the end of everything. Um, but it really kind of made me realize how how much I needed to change my way of thinking with certain things. And then a year or so ago, you know, I'm in a, a different relationship now. And these things that I learned going through that horrible stuff has held me in very good stead for where I'm at now. It's made me a much better person to uh, to be in a relationship with, I like to think. You know, I, I look back now and think, oh, I must have been a bit of a nightmare with this, not deliberately. Um, and my partner now, you know, she's she's really, really good at that. You know, she's extremely grounded and uh, she's much better at doing it than I am. And I learn a lot from her. And I think well, I'm, I'm a bit closer than I would have been if I hadn't gone through that thing. Um, so I can see the benefit. And it's definitely made me a lot more. No, I'm at a gig now. I'm going to stick the phone down. I'll do Instagram later. You know, Instagram will still be there. And um, so it's made me think, well, I'll still plan things, but I won't worry about it quite as much. You know, I'll cut myself a bit more slack with it because whatever I plan, life happens, doesn't it? You know, things change and uh, life's happening outside right now. An aeroplane or something or other is happening. But um, yeah, so that, that's something that ha happened to me as well. And I think it really, really challenged every part of me in time in terms of how I thought about and dealt with stuff. Um, but looking back now, after being a year down the line um, with my girlfriend now, I realize not just because of things with her, like the way that I operate on a daily basis, I'm a better dad because of it. You know, yeah. I'm better at my job because of it. And uh, it's made me realize how how much better I needed to get. I just didn't realize it. I needed something extreme to come along. And it did. And it was hard for a while. Um, but now I see the benefits, you know. So uh, well, it's when you least expect it. 
you know, hippieish though it sounds, I'm wearing that out now, aren't I? You could think of another way of saying that same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's all good. Then it all makes total sense. So, Tommy, what's one thing about you that would shock everyone to know? Shock everyone. Um, let's have a think. I'm guessing we've got to keep this fairly clean, haven't we? Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think. So, I mean, so, it's pre-recorded. I can edit stuff out if I need to. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I'll tell, actually, there's one one thing that's kind of cool. Um, it didn't feel cool at the time, actually. When I was an examiner, uh, I got to fail. I got to. As I didn't. I didn't enjoy doing this. I didn't know I'd done it. Um, so I was in. I think it was Madrid, somewhere in Spain, um, and I inadvertently failed the Spanish Prime Minister's son. Oh, his, guitar, his guitar exam. I won't say what year it was, um, but I don't know. I don't even know what his name was because I didn't recognize the name. And of course, everyone was sort of very hush hush around this, this particular kid. I don't, don't think his dad was there on the day. And afterwards, it was just, you don't know who that was, do you? And you think, no, of course I don't. That's just a, another kid, <laughs> all the same to me, yeah. you know. So I got to find the Spanish Prime Minister's son. That was fun. Um, other things, uh, I'm, a, I'm a grade eight tuba player. Uh, with with high honors um they probably wouldn't think that necessarily to look at me um what else try to think of something really really completely different i'm just looking around the room oh i can think of a thing but i've got to leave the room to get it can i go and get it sure i'll only be a minute okay so this probably isn't a massively shocking thing or anything but something i really love uh retro toys Ah. Big, big fan of these guys so these are called monster in my pocket and when i was about seven i can remember going to the dentist and having a tooth out with gas and air and it was awful and i used to get these toys me and my brother did and i can remember my dad afterwards saying i know that wasn't a lot of fun let's go to the toy shop and he got me this kind of pyramid thing with about 12 of those guys in there so i collected mm -hmm. them for years don't know where they went probably car boot sailed them or gave them to a thrift store. Um, and then, when was this? Maybe a month ago, there's a shop down the road from me called Strange Apparitions, and it's sort of a comic book store and a record store within a garden centre. And my girlfriend uh, tagged me in this video, or it might have just been a picture, actually, and it had dozens of these on there, and I thought, right, that's where I'm going then. So I, <laughs> I drove down there, rang the guy that owns it on the way, and I said, right, save me some of them. And I think I bought about 30 of them in one go. <laughs> Spent about 90 quid on these little toys. I love them, you know, and I think um, I've got a nephew who's three and a nephew who's 12. So, you know, with, with the 12-year-old, you know, things like watching the turtles, watching old cartoons, stuff like that. I'm mad into all of that, really like that. You know, Hey Arnold, the turtles, mm -hmm. um, Sharky and George, you know, Street Sharks, Street Fighter, old games as well, you know, Mortal Kombat and Monkey Island, Explore, all that kind of stuff. Um, Mighty Max, you know all of that kind of stuff biker mice from mars so uh yeah definitely my my kid's side um i don't hide that in the slightest you know but i suppose it's a uh, maybe little retro toys aren't the first thing when you think when you look at me necessarily um but i love it you know so there's probably lots of other things as well but that seems like a, a reasonable contrast you know that's awesome and then <clears throat> what is the one thing or the one tool that you cannot live without as an artist and why one thing I can't live without. Hmm. 
Well, I really should mention this, shouldn't I? So it'd have to be one of these giants. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, it, it's one of those things. Since starting to work for G7, I used to work in retail 2007 to 2009 or so. And it was one of those things. I didn't, I've been playing guitar by about seven years by that point, And I didn't know anything really about string gauge. I didn't know anything about action or setups. I just played stuff. I had no idea. And when I worked there, I got to experience why all these things were important. And obviously back then, we used to sell the original G7 capos. Um, and I could feel that they could, I could see and feel that they operated very differently. And, you know, they were a very different design. They operated totally differently. They felt super reliable and incredibly hard to break. And I think when I started to work for them, I realized how seriously people take tiny parts of their rig. And I thought I took it seriously, but not compared to a lot of these guys. And I think the nice thing now is with something like Capo, obviously, yeah, I work for the company. Um, but it's also a really nice reminder of what the jobs afforded me. You know, I've gotten to meet some great people, people such as yourself, you know, who I class as my good friends now in all different parts of the world. And obviously I use it for what it's for in terms of capo in. Um, but funnily enough, a friend of mine, his name's Tom Clues, and he's a tech for lots of different bands. Um, he texts for Rick Astley. He texts for Nick Kershaw. Um, he's done Emily Sandy, Stormzy, a real, real range of stuff. And he's a lovely guy. And he texts for a chap called Adam. And every now and then Tom sends me a picture of something that they've done in a hotel room with a capo and their heating broke. So they got a couple of these capos and they pushed the buttons down on hair dryers and then just angled them into the room. So it was heating the room up. So that's oh, what wow. I do now. Because every now and then you go to a hotel and the heating's not working. So that's what I do. So this is my get out of jail free card to stay warm in a hotel room. Um, so that's quite useful. You know, if you've got a bag of, bag of chips or a bag of popcorn or something, put it around the top of it, keeps it sealed up. And, uh, and I think, yeah, it's one of those things where if I'm walking around and I'm feeling a bit tired, I'm doing whatever I'm doing. When I used to do the long exam tours for six, seven weeks, you know, I'd always keep one of these with me anyway. And it, I'd look at it or I'd feel it in my pocket and it would just remind me, well, I've got this family. I've got this. I've, you know, I've got the work that I do with these guys. And that inspires me. And I'm not an engineer in the slightest. But when I talk to Nick, who invented all the G7 capos, and he tells me why he's done things in a certain way. I don't have the kind of mind that can see things if they're not there. You know, if if you say to me, right, here's an empty room, we're going to do this, this and this, it won't mean a lot to me. Um, but when we actually put things in there and start moving them around, I can visualize it. You know, my teenager can do it really well. My girlfriend can do it really well. I don't have that ability at all. I can hear stuff, but I can't see stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that fills in some gaps for me. So for a lot of reasons, yeah, this is a, a Swiss army knife of life, I suppose now. Um, but failing that, um, something that I that I take everywhere that's uh, really, really essential for me. I um, don't know if you can see this too well. You see the little orca with a pair of headphones on there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so there's an Australian writer called David Thorne that I really, really like. And uh, that's from one of the covers of his books. He's done about 10 now. And I always keep one in my work bag. I keep one in my travel bag. I keep one in my car, one in my suitcase. So I've always got one of his books with me wherever I am in the world. And um, Essentially, years back, he came up with this. Um, it, so it was a piece that did the rounds. It went all over David Letterman, all over Ellen, um, and it went all over the UK. And you know, have I got news for you? The papers, stuff like that. And um, essentially, he's a he's a guy that takes the Mickey out of people if they're asking unreasonable things. He does email back and forth with people to wind them up. 
And I think he went for a, a chiropractic assessment and they tried to charge him hundreds of dollars for something that did nothing. So he drew a picture of a spider with seven legs, which I've got tattooed on my leg. And they tried to charge him, you know, $311. So he sent him a picture of this spider and said, well, I value this at $311. There you go, have that. And sent it over an email. And I got really hooked on that silly sense of humor. So I get a new book of his every year. He releases it just before Christmas. And I love him because I've killed many an hour in airports. I read it before I go on stage sometimes. I'll read it if I'm in a hotel or if I'm in a car park waiting for something or if I'm on a ferry, um, whatever it might be, you know, and I'll, I'll have a different one and I'll rotate it all the time. And uh, I really like that because there's some elements of really, really smart writing in there and some really interesting stuff mixed with real silliness as well. So I always keep one of those with me, whatever I'm doing. And uh, yeah, that's that's another essential thing, actually. That's that's really important. If I don't have one with me, I feel a bit sort of naked, I suppose, because I've done it for so many years now. So yeah, David Thorne, everyone should go and check him out, definitely. Oh, yeah, I love that. And I love that you have something like that, where because, you know, you ask people that question, it's usually like their guitar their voice there's something that pertains directly to the instrument and that's cool because mindset is a big part of it too and keeping yourself light and loose is really important so no yeah. pun intended your last name is loose i just realized so there's that's uh yeah you have <laughs> to keep yourself loose for a session don't or for a, a performance don't you I, I have little choice in the matter yeah people always think that i've made up my name you think but no if i could have chosen that certainly i would have probably chosen something different if i wanted it to sound rock star and cool or something but people quite often say you know is that really your name yeah i don't hear it i don't look at loose and think oh well but i guess they think you know fast and loose or whatever and i just think well it's just a name i've had since i was born so i don't think anything of it really but uh, i'm proud of my name i don't think it's silly or anything but it's not probably the first thing i would have chosen if i was trying to sound rock starry um which people often tell me they think it is which i find a bit odd but then again i suppose you've got zach wild haven't you wild, that's true um, I don't know, Casey Chaos, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, whatever people want to make it, I suppose. Right on. So what has been the most difficult piece of music for you to create and why? Difficult piece of music. Hmm. I know, um, so some years ago, um, a friend of mine uh, lost somebody very close to her. And it was one of those situations where it, it's still a mystery, essentially. Um, someone took their own life and no one knows why they did it. I never met him, um, but I've been friends with her for for decades. And I just remember the fallout and how everything, you know, how everything felt for her from an outsider's point of view. And obviously it wasn't someone that I knew, but I suppose seeing someone that I cared about that much, as upset as they were, I... Uh, I had a few other things that happened in my own, my own life around that time. And I ended up sort of putting four or five of them all on one album. And that song wasn't even about me. You know, it was about this, my friend's partner um, who I didn't even know or meet, but I think it was one of these, one of these very reflective things where she couldn't save him and no one could save him. And I couldn't save her in that sense. She didn't need me to save her, but it was one of those things I couldn't fix it for her and she couldn't fix things with him. And, uh, and I think when I was writing that, it made me realize that part of the overplanning thing, you know, and constantly trying to overhelp, you know, I'm definitely guilty of that, you know, and wanting to sort of try and fix things. Maybe it's partly being a man, I don't know. Maybe being a dad as well. You know, you're always kind of thinking you don't want your, your children to experience any upset or pain, but at the same time, they will do with certain things. So you can't wrap them in cotton wool. 
And so that song was harder than I than I realised. I think um, there have been a few um, of that kind of nature, but yeah, I would say the EP that I did back in 2016, it was called "Carrying the Unfixable," and uh, and that song went on there. Um, and it was actually about a, a friend of mine. Not to you know to bring it down. Hopefully, I can put a positive spin on it. He um, very tragically took his own life, and for various reasons, I felt that I could have helped him not do that. And uh, I found myself searching around for for an answer, I suppose, really, to try and to try and help myself understand why I was feeling that way. And I stumbled on this blog post. I don't remember where I saw it or the full context of it, but I just remember a couple of lines of text. And it just said, some things you can't fix, some things you just have to carry. And that's why I called it Carrying the Unfixable. And I and I just read that and it just really, it was one of those moments where I really needed and wanted to find something that just spoke to me desperately, you know, and, and I stumbled across it. And I thought, well, I'll I'll immortalize that then. I'll call the album that. And uh, and all the songs on there are to do with with things of that nature, you know, like not just sitting writing morbid songs about things, but trying to, I suppose, talk about what I learned from it and put a, a positive spin on on a horrible situation. So all of that was pretty tough, but probably the catalyst of that was was writing this song about, about my friend's boyfriend years ago. Wow. Yeah, that's <clears throat> I can't even imagine. And that that's yeah, that's an incredibly difficult thing to confront and, and deal with the, the subject matter of. But I mean I, I love what you said though, carrying the unfixable. That's a really great viewpoint of like sometimes you just have to shoulder that stuff. That's that's life, you know. Yeah, totally. I think um it's one of those things isn't it where i felt very guilty for a long time i thought if i don't think about it all day that's me showing that i don't care and of course it's not because how many i mean i'm 36 now i've experienced a lot of things it's like with guitar isn't it you know do you play every song that you've learned on guitar every day you can't can you no you know? of course not now i remember reading an interview with mick thompson some years ago from slipknot saying that he estimates he's learned about 2000 songs all the way through i mean how many songs can you play in one day you know, you know, there's only so much time, isn't there? Um, so I think it it really helped. And I suppose general life experience helps as well, you know, and traveling has been very good for that as well, I think. You know, and I, I got a bit blasé with travel because I did a lot of it for a long time. Then when COVID came along and grounded most of us, it made me reflect and realize how much, you know, how much I'd gotten from it, you know, how much good it had done me and how many people I'd met. Um, like getting to meet yourself at NAM, you know, yeah. and out on the other side of the world, you know. Why is someone paying me to do that? That's far too cool a job for me. But whilst they haven't figured out that I'm not worthy of it yet, well, I'll keep doing it, you know. So uh, Absolutely. I love that. So carrying on, if you were going to write a book about your career up to this point, what would you title it? I can tell you exactly what I'd title it, actually. And I can tell you why I would. Um, so a friend of mine, uh, he's getting married very soon. His name's Josh. And uh, he was a very good friend of mine all the way through uni. I'm going to his uh, his stag do um, in a couple of months' time, and I haven't seen him for about eight years, I think. Um, and we only realised that the other day. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him again. He's a tremendous player. He was one of those guys that everything I did was a lot better because of him. You know, he was an amazing person to be around. And uh, and when I was at uni, you know, we had we we were kind of two of the guys who would stay up a lot and we'd chat until four in the morning and we'd play guitar and you get a bit deep with things. And I didn't realize that I always used to say this, but he picked me up on it eventually. And yeah, we were talking about this, that, and the other. And apparently I just said, well, it's just one of those things, isn't it? 
And he said, well, you say that about everything. So, yeah, apparently so. So I think that's what I'd call it. I'd just call it one of them things, because apparently I say that. And uh, and I can imagine, actually, yeah, because now I'm aware of it. I catch myself saying it a lot. And uh, I have a little diary that I keep on my computer wherever I'm going, whatever I'm doing. And that's what I call it. That's a bit of a sort of silly working title. But, you know, it, it makes me laugh seeing a Word document on my desktop called one of them things in it. And I think, oh, yeah, perhaps I'll write about this. I'm on a bullet train in China or something, you know. I'll write about what I've just been doing for the day, what I've eaten, you know, curried goat brains or whatever it was. So, yeah, that's what I'd call it, I think. One of them things, isn't it? That's so awesome. I love that. That That is one of the best answers I've ever gotten to that question, actually. <laughs> oh, well, I had a bit of pre-thought on that before. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's what I'd do. That's what I'd call it. That's awesome. So what are your plans for world domination? Uh, same as everyone's. Just hope it happens with very little work, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I think... Um, I think for me, you know, the last three, four years of everything, it's made me really value what made me realize what's important in my own life and uh, to sort of plow my own furrow with it, I suppose, really. You know, I think I don't feel the need to fill the diary all the time anymore, every day, every year. I'll do less gigs. I'll be a bit more selective, maybe. Um, maybe not do quite as many lessons, um, maybe not as quite as many lectures and that kind of things. And I don't tend to do as much of that in the exams anymore. But I think it's maybe doing less of the less of the extras and doing you know a, a smaller amount of the things i like but try and do them better so uh, i suppose it's keeping on keeping on refining as best i can and keeping on learning because it keeps your mind active doesn't it yeah no it absolutely does and that's huge that's one of those things that i love i, I personally try to impart on to other people is like just don't ever stop learning don't ever stop getting into new stuff like it's kind of how that's one of the secrets to a long life i feel like is keep giving yourself stuff to learn and to do yeah, definitely. Every day's a school day, you know. That's right. I like that. And then my last question, and just to revisit the the introduction to the show. So again, it's this show not only showcases the best of independent artists, it also explores what inspires them, what drives them, and what they consider their fundamental purpose as an artist to be. So Tommy, what's your truth? What in terms of what inspires me? Yeah, what drives you? What's your truth? What's your reason? Well, as it happens, kind of borrow your hand. Yeah. Sorry, my my teenager is just over here and I, I'll keep people guessing so I won't put their face on camera. But this is their hand. So uh, this is Bobby. Say hey to Johnny. Hi. Hello. <laughs> In fact, maybe if you come here and face that way, then people won't know who you are. But you, you can come on and, and say hello. Oh, like so, see ya. Yeah. Come and face, come and face the harp guitar. So this, this is my reason. There you oh, go. Uh there you go. Note the Slipknot t-shirt. Starting them young. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Are you all right, by the way? You appearing in the room. Do you need something? Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll do it in one minute. Yeah. Cool. All right, then. We'll see you in a minute. Little cameo there. <laughs> That's awesome. I think as I've gotten older, um, so yeah, with, with Bobby there, I mean, they're nearly 16 now. And, you know, I think with with being away a lot, as I was for quite a few years with work and stuff like that, we'd always keep in touch. Um, I've written songs about her. We've done gigs together. We've written songs together. Um, she's tattooed me. She's traced tattoos for me. She's actually inked me and stuff like that when she was about 11, 12. I think it's one of those things that it, it keeps me on the straight and narrow, because not because I'm a loose cannon or anything, but because it's very easy, I think, to be traveling all over the place and doing all this stuff and it's fun, but after a while, you know, what does that mean? You've gone and met this person and it was great. And, you know, we met Weird Al the other week. 
it was incredible. And thanks to Jim, to Jim Kimo West, his guitar player, for sorting that for us. Very kind of him. I've loved Weird Al for 25 years. So it was an amazing moment for the childhood me. But at the same time, you come home and you have to remember what matters for you, don't you? And I think with with them, you know, growing up as they are, um, they're in the final year of their exams now and everything they do inspires me. And I think it's um, it's a constant learning curve. So I think, you know, my truth is definitely, uh, yeah, it, it's family, I would say, definitely. That's awesome. I love that. Right on, Tommy. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. This has been, it's been a ride, man. This has been a really great conversation. Um, and I've known you for a while, but I learned stuff about you that I definitely didn't know. And it was really, it was an honor. It was a treat. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Johnny. I really appreciate it. And uh, will I see you next month at NAMM? Unfortunately, no, I will not be there. I'll explain that. Um, and when we're done with the, the call, I'll explain that. But um, before we do go, though, I did want to give you 60 seconds to plug anything that you have coming up. 60 seconds of everything Tommy Loose. Fire away. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, the next thing I've got coming up, um, playing wise for myself, uh, later on this year in November, um, I'm going to be aiming to put out an electric EP. It will have four to five tracks on there. And I give uh, my girlfriend Lee credit for the title. Um, there's a bit of a story behind it. Um, it's somewhat of a rude story, so I can always tell you what it is, but it doesn't matter if you can't include it. So um, basically what it is, there was a, an article in the local paper where a guy decided he was tired of doing a certain thing. And so he removed a certain part of himself thinking, I won't need to do that anymore. And I was telling her about it and she just said, it's as if he, he thought to himself, I'm so confident about this. I'm not even going to Google it. So that's what it's going to be called. It's going to be called, I'm so confident I don't even need to Google it because I think it's a silly title and it makes me think of the idiot who did that. So that's going to be my new electric EP. I'm going to do that later in the year. Um, with Smokescreen, uh, we've got three or four new songs recorded or nearly recorded. So we're going to have a new EP later out this year too. I'll do some gigs. They'll do some gigs. Um, I'm also working on this Gypsy Jazz pastiche album for submission uh, with my brother. And uh yeah, stuff with G7th. Um, we've got a lot more uh, a lot more cool com stuff coming up. We've got a few new things that we're launching very soon at NAMM. I won't mention what they are just yet, um, but it's nice to go to a trade show and have something new to show people. So, yeah, there'll be some cool stuff there. And, uh, yeah, apart from that, I'm going to keep on lifting the weights. I'm going to keep on doing what I do, keep on hanging out with my, my teenager and uh, keep on working on new music and whatever else I can fit in and keep collecting toys i should think as well so there you go oh yeah man i love it well again thanks so much for being here and to everyone that's watching this has been the what's your truth podcast i'll see you on the next episode later cheers thanks for having me yeah you follow your own rules and you preach them on to me but you don't think before you act and you ain't got no business with me you know no but then watch your truth oh watch your truth